Super excited for you to be here today. If you will find a seat, I'm gonna just gonna give a couple different uh, quick announcements before I pray and we get into the message. If you're brand new, uh, my name's Danny. I'm gonna be sharing with you today. I am one of the pastors here at Kesson and uh, I'm stoked that you're here. Thank you very much. This is uh, our Palm Sunday celebration. And so this starts a really busy week for our church. And one of the things we value a lot here is communication, making sure you guys know what's going on so that uh, you can be where you want to be and, uh, and uh, a part of all the different things we have happening. So a couple things I want to go over. I went over last week, but just a reminder, this Friday at 7 o'clock, we're going to be right here for our Good Friday service. We're going to have some snacks. We're going to have child care. So bring a friend. It's going to be a really beautiful time of reflection. We're going to have one single service right here. And uh, we'd love for you guys to show up a little early if you can so that uh, we have uh, room to kind of make sure everybody fits. But uh, check that out. Good Friday, 7 o'clock. Then Easter. Easter weekend for us is going to consist of four services. The first one is Saturday at uh, 6 o'clock. Also here. Then Sunday morning, we're going to have our usual 9 and 11. And then we're going to have our very last service at our downtown campus uh, down at the Main Street building. And then they're going to come back with us for our Lord's Prayer series, which is going to be three weeks that we launch right after Easter. Um, it's going to be a really great thing. Uh, then, one last thing for this week. Uh, following Easter, Friday, down at our building downtown at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a worship and baptism service, and we're trying to just pack the place out. It'll be the very last time you get to experience the building before it begins the demo process. And so if you kind of want to be a part of, of walking into it when it's... Uh, all remodeled, hopefully in the fall, and going, wow, it's so different. For those of you who never have been there, you're not going to get that feeling. You're going to be like, yeah, it's cool. But it's cooler if you come and check it out. On top of that, um, it's going to be an amazing time of reflection as a lot of people that come to Easter who come to Christ. We're setting this up as a, as a, in faith that God is going to bring people who come to Christ and then that very Sunday sign up to go be baptized that Friday. So that said, this is back to our Easter strategy. We're not, we're not doing a, a big marketing thing. This, we really feel, especially this year with the way God's leading our congregation, that what we want to do is we want to have you guys invite a friend. We want to have you guys invite someone, and I'm going to bring some clarity to this because you guys are a smart and slick church. And I had someone say like, yeah, my mom comes with me every Easter, Pastor Danny. I got you covered. I got a friend. That is not the friend I'm talking about. I love your mom. I think your mom is awesome, right? All your moms are awesome. But you know your mom's coming. There's no risk when you invite her. She just wants to sit next to her little man at Easter. I'm talking about the people that don't want to come to Easter. The people, I invited the guy myself. He told me no. He goes, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And I said, okay, well, I still want to invite you. He goes, well, there was no point. I'm not going to do that. And I said, that's all right. I'm still going to invite you. And he's like, no. And I'm like, you're invited. You want to come? And he's like, ah, I told you, man, I'm not doing that. I said, cool. <laughs> yeah, I hang out with those people. I don't just hang out with churchy folk. Okay, it, it, I, that's, yeah, that's, some, some of you are, you, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what? Like, like you don't pray before every single meal? And I'm like, no, because the guys I'm with don't always understand that. We talk about it, and I'm a front, and I'm inviting them to Easter, and I don't know if any of them are going to show up. But that's the folks I'm looking for you to invite, because those are the people that I'm hoping want to hear and need to hear, and that the Holy Spirit will relate himself to when the gospel is presented on Easter. And then we're going to be baptized. People you never thought you'd see get baptized are going to be baptized Friday. It's going to be remarkable. That said, we move straight into a Lord's Prayer series for three weeks. And uh, that three weeks is going to be unique for some of you. 
Uh, we're going to do a lot of time of reflection. We're going to be launching Rooted during this time. This is our discipleship uh, program here. If you've never been through Rooted, you're going to come and check that out. Uh, it's a 10-week discipleship during the week, in the evenings, and sometimes on Sunday morning class that we do. And then for those of you who've been through Rooted, this is the first time I'm announcing it. You can't sign up yet, but we're going to be running a 10-week EHS, which is Emotional Healthy Spirituality. This is your next step to go and figure out some of the stuff, some of the reasons, some of the whys behind how you are and, and, and how you have experienced life. And so I'm going to also be giving you an opportunity for some of that during that three-week uh, emotionally, I'm sorry, during the three-week Lord's Prayer and then the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality classes that run right underneath rooted. A lot happening, as you can see. So we're trying to front load some of the big stuff so that as we start talking about the other, you're, you're cued in. You're like, got it. I got it. So... That said, today is Palm Sunday, and it's a very special day, so I'm going to pray for us. We're going to kind of reset the tone a little bit, and then we're just going to watch God. The last two services have just been remarkable, so, so, uh, <laughs> so I warn you now, try and hold off being impacted, because uh, I, I, it's just been an, an amazing thing to experience. So thank you guys for being here, and I think God will bless you. Uh, I know he has me, so let's get some time with him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for every person in this room. We thank you for the way that you are working, for the way that you are revealing yourself, for the patience that, that you have spent for, with some of us, Lord. It's taken us and you a long time to get to today. And Lord, I know that you know it's all going to be worth it when your revelation breaks upon the hearts of those who need it so badly. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you for who you are. We just lift this time up to you, in Jesus' name, amen. No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, 
terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. Matthew chapter 21 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This, as we know, is the passage that we read every single Palm Sunday. This is called, in most Bibles, the triumphal entry. And this passage marks the beginning of Passion Week, of the, of the, of the Passover celebration that the Jewish people have celebrated since their freedom from Egypt, when the Spirit of God passed over their homes because they had taken the blood of a lamb and put it over their doors, passed over their homes and killed all the firstborn, uh, both livestock and children of Egypt, letting Pharaoh know he is the one true God. At this point, Pharaoh releases the people and they gather and they move out into the desert following Moses, their leader. And ever since, they have celebrated this very special day with the beginning of that celebration like this. With a, with a feast, with, with people from all over coming to Jerusalem to begin to remember the way in which God was going to redeem them. Now, the problem with Passover, or at least this particular part of it, the, the, the Palm Sunday, is that for most people, it's really simply a precursor to Easter. As a matter of fact, from a church perspective, most of Palm Sunday uh, sermons are just prepping you for the big sermon that really matters on Easter. And this is my 39th Palm Sunday. I haven't missed one in my whole life. And frankly, I've preached, I think, nine of these now, because as a, as a youth pastor, you don't have to preach them. So as a lead guy, nine, almost 10 years at Kesson, um, I've been preaching Palm Sunday. And so far, I've kind of follow, follow, fell, followed the other pastors that I know in prepping you for the big one that's coming uh, with the resurrection on Sunday. Even Good Friday is great, but it's, it's really... Uh, you know, preparation for the big one, the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And this week, frankly, because I'm just tired 
of, of approaching sermons or tired of even approaching my faith always the same way, I decided I didn't care if this thing bombed, I wasn't going to do that. As a matter of fact, in our prep meeting for this just a bit earlier, someone mentioned this thing might bomb. I don't really know what's going on in this message at all. Uh, true story. That just happened right before service, about 20 minutes before the nine o'clock. Gentleman I sat with goes, I don't, I don't, what is this? And I said, it's like its own message, man. And he goes, well, you know, I know, but it's Palm Sunday. Like it's, it's Palm Sunday. We're just kind of us. I said, no, no, it is its own message. There is a reason Jesus came. And, and I'm going to share with you today why I believe he entered this way and what it means for you today, because it messed me up inside. It tweaks me. And so what happened is in the nine o'clock and even at the other campus, everybody left sort of like, like their hearts were messed up inside. And so I'm letting you know right now that I think you're supposed to do more than just prepare this week for Easter. Do more than even prepare for Good Friday. You're supposed to see this in the context it was meant to be seen, and it's supposed to tweak you. It's supposed to mess with you. And that's exactly my entire goal of this message. First thing I want to do is give you a little bit of history. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I didn't even realize that... Uh, this existed till I decided to approach Palm Sunday a little bit different. Just a little bit of history. Did you know, did you know that, that although Jesus enters from the eastern side of the city, that there was another previous procession that entered from the western side of the city? That's what I thought. You know why? Because you've been prepped for Palm Sunday your whole stinking life. That's why, just like me. But did you know, did you know that everybody who would have seen the crowd that was coming with Jesus, right? So we know this. We know this, what we just read. There is a crowd coming with Jesus that is huge. It's huge because Jesus just earlier had raised Lazarus from the dead. And there's nothing that brings a crowd closer than when someone comes back from the dead. And he didn't just like come back. He like came out of the cave, like straight up, like mummy style in front of everybody. And so there's a whole crowd that has now gathered around him because they've seen that he is the one who he proclaimed to be the one who conquers death. So there's this huge crowd walking with Jesus, following Jesus into Jerusalem, while there's already a crowd in Jerusalem who had just experienced another procession. Even the people coming with Jesus would have known about the earlier procession because I didn't know this, but historically it had been happening for years and years and years. Roman historians record that the governor of Judea, whoever that was at the time, which in this case it was Pontius Pilate, would lead a procession of gleaming, shining, powerful Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem every single Passover. They would enter from the western side of the city, the opposite side from which Jesus is about to enter, and they would come in on horseback and on foot, looking intently at the Jewish people, letting them know. Think about this from a, you conquered a nation, right? You conquered a nation, and then you find out that nation once a year celebrates a victory, a spiritual victory over another nation that had conquered them previously. Do you not think you're going to deal with that? Now, you, you are a conquering nation that wants some peace among your empire because there's so many other people to conquer. You don't want to have to be battling with everybody. So you're like, no problem. Have your celebration that celebrates the spiritual uh, awakening, that celebrates the spiritual freedom from Egypt, but we're not Egypt, boys and girls. We're Rome. And so every Passover, the governor of that city would enter into Jerusalem with his 
cohort of power to remind every single person in that city who's come to celebrate the freedom from oppression God's going to bring with just a couple little eye looks, a couple little man-ups, a couple little, you might think God's going to save you, but if you even think about doing anything about it, we're going to destroy you. Imagine the tension. Imagine the, the, the thickness. Imagine right now if I'm preaching to you about God's freedom from oppression and a crowd of people with full pagan beliefs comes up and just marches on stage and stands behind me. Because there's nothing you can do about it, so they think. Do you, I just want you to know, I know a few men and a lot of women in this room who would have a problem with that. There would be issues. As, as eloquent and unbelievably persuasive as I am, <laughs> we would have a, we'd have a brawl on our hands, let's just be clear. Okay? We'd just have a massive, it, we'd be on the news, it would just be a big massive thing. So the church people at that time, the, the priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they, they had already prepped everybody because everyone knows, hey, listen, when the Romans come, just let them come. Our God is bigger. When the Romans come, just let them come. Our God is greater. So there would be tension in the room as the soldiers walked by. And you know there's some young people, maybe some people who never actually seen it happen. They just heard about it because they're from far off lands, but they just got there and you got the soldiers staring at them and you got these young people like, yeah, you know what? My God's going to kill you someday. And you got this soldier like, I'll kill you right now. I don't even care. And then you've got like, you know, priests in the middle and, and, and Pilate like, whoa, whoa. It's just tension everywhere. And finally, Pilate goes to his, his palace, which, by the way, is directly across from one of the main synagogues. If you were to look at a map of, of uh, Jerusalem at that time, Pilate's palace is like straight across the street from the main synagogue. Because that's where the power needed to reside within the people. Things finally get calm. The, the church leaders finally get everybody back into the celebration mode. Everyone's finally excited. And this bro comes in on a donkey with 15,000 people following him. Can you imagine what they must have thought? Now here's the key. When Jesus rides in on a donkey, having just raised Lazarus from the dead, he is proclaiming something that most of us don't really understand. He is, he is proclaiming something very real and very valid and very tangible in all of those people's lives who just experienced that early er, procession. And it lies within the verse that he is living out. So the writer in Matthew told you about the author, Zechariah, who proclaimed that Jesus would come riding on a donkey. But what he doesn't really give you is the verse before and the verse after that claim that everyone that was Jewish who grew up waiting for a savior, who grew up under the oppression of the Romans, would have been thinking about when they saw the man who just raised someone from the dead riding in on a donkey. And so we have to read that in order to understand the context. Zechariah 8, 9 is the prophecy, and 10. You're a Jewish child under oppression. You know this verse by heart. Okay, by heart. Chapter 9, verse 8. This is the first part of the verse. It says... Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. Here's the prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then the closing verse be, uh, below the prophecy, verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. 
and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, these people, they see Jesus' fulfillment of that prophecy as a claim to kingdom conquering. And I mean now kingdom conquering. The tension from the earlier procession still sitting over the crowd. Jesus enters. He fulfills the prophecy. They ride in. They put two and two together. Young men start looking. Old men start looking. Women start running around. This is happening. This is happening. The conquering king is here. This is happening. I can't believe it. He's going to encamp at our house. No one's going to ever march over us to and fro again. I can see it for he sees it with his own eyes. Look, there's the donkey. No one shall ever speak anything other other than peace over us as a nation, for he will rule from sea to signing sea. Somebody hand me a palm branch. And so you grab the cheapest offering and closest thing you can, and you lay it down at his feet so that you can proclaim along with every other soul in the city, I choose that king, not your king. The tension is, is, is tangible. You can feel it as Jesus comes in and people start proclaiming, Hosanna, 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 freedom, freedom, freedom. He's here, he's here, he's here. These people believe that God has come to deliver their nation from its oppressor. And they believe that means Rome. And so they do everything they can to make their early choice known. We're with Jesus. The problem is, as Jesus enters, he doesn't march to the palace. He marches to the church. He doesn't like what he sees in the church. So he behaves a little unking-like. And then he moves on and has dinner, and then he just disappears. This would be like you and I planning a big service where I'm going to come and share with you. I walk up with my mic and my Bible and my notes, and I look around, I smile, and then I lay down and take a nap. <laughs> You're like, what's happening right now? I got a babysitter for this. He's going to get up and say something. I brought my mom who comes every Easter. I know he said she doesn't count, but she does to me because she's stressful, all right? <laughs> I'd rather have anybody else but her, but it's my mom, so here she is. <laughs> he doesn't do any of the stuff that they want him to do. And so slowly over that week, they begin to become disappointed. Slowly over that week, they begin to not just become disappointed, but they begin, they begin to become resentful. See, when you compare the two side by side, suddenly there's a little bit more attraction in the, the one that provides protection. I mean, it's, it's, it's not my people, but it's safe and certainly a lot more shiny and certainly a lot more sexy. You know, I'm, I, I think at the end of the day, if Jesus isn't going to do what he said he's going to do, then at the end of the day, you know, maybe he's not who he says he is. The two processions could not be more different in the message they convey. Pilate, leading his Roman centurions, asserts the power and might of the, empire, of the empire of Rome, which crushes everyone who opposes it. And Jesus rides on a donkey, 
who embodies the peace and tranquility that shalom or peace and love bring, then disappears. Pilate's right there in his temple. I can see him. He stares out over us. That's what rulers do. Where's Jesus? Slowly murmuring begins until eventually people's choices, like the palm branches that were cut from the living roots they once drew nourishment from, begin to wither. They make poor choice after poor choice after poor choice until eventually the church people have them in a position and in enough resentment and in enough disappointment with what they thought Jesus was going to do that they begin to realize they can control this crowd to not only please Pilate and Rome, but to also get rid of Jesus, who said just a few days earlier he was going to destroy their church and rebuild it in three days, thinking it meant a physical building instead of his body. And so this crowd's disappointment with God leads them all the way to what we will discuss on Good Friday. I read this, and I received what it said to me. I received what it, what it brought to light in my own life. And here's what I concluded. And this is where, um, this is where I'm just going to be Danny before you, and you're just going to have to be you before you, okay? So there's a tendency for you to think that, that because I'm on this stage and because I carry this title that maybe I have dealt with some stuff and I'm through it. But sometimes, most often actually, what I've discovered is God wants me to just deal with stuff right in front of you. And that in and of itself is the lesson. Um, I've shared with you guys for a while now that I am in all kinds of uh, therapy and I'm in therapy for the sake of my own emotional health. That's why I'm a big believer in this emotional healthy spirituality class. And I'm in therapy dealing with emotional health because I'm a part of a lot of your process and you're a part of mine and it's important that both of us understand when and where this relationship ends and stops. And so for a second, this relationship's gonna stop. Meaning, I'm gonna set down the pastoral title. I'm not gonna preach from this specific book. I'm gonna simply tell you what this book and the Holy Spirit revealed for me and maybe it will relate to some of you. Here's what I realized about Palm Sunday in my life this week. Palm Sunday for me represents every single Christian's choice when it comes to being introduced and so following Jesus. When you and I first started following Jesus, he came in, I mean, with like a trumpet sound for most of us. He came in, my life was forever changed, I, I behaved different, I acted different, and I wanted to be more than I was, and so I began to study and learn and, and dive into my faith like all of us do. The problem was, is that I became quickly, and this happened within just a few years, disappointed in God because I realized what this passage taught me today, which is that I, in some areas of my life, not every, but in some areas of my life, didn't choose Jesus because he's Jesus the Savior. I chose Jesus because of the choices I thought he was going to make for my life. <sighs> so maybe a few more of you than just me. I chose Jesus because I thought he was going to make my marriage better. I chose Jesus because I thought that, that, that I, I give, I tithe, right? I give a percentage of my income. And it says, trust me. And, and so I trust him, but my income's not anymore. I'm not blessed. So I take back that tithe and I, and, I, and I deal with it myself. I still attend church. I still help. I still support. But the reality is that, that Jesus Christ 
It's not just the choice I made. It's Jesus Christ and the fruit of the choice that I want. I want freedom from Rome now. I want a better marriage. I want a better family. I want to be a better parent. I want to run a better church. This is the fruit of the choices that I'm making when I choose Jesus Christ. And here's the saddest part. It's all fallen apart. Time and time again, those things have fallen apart. And instead of realizing over the years that that was not the expectations I should have put on Christ, instead, in that area, I just became disappointed with Christ. Well, he helps some people, but he doesn't help everybody. I heard a guy once say, and I wanted to tell him, no, that's not true. But you know what? His disappointment, it echoed with my disappointment. And I said, yeah, that's true. I don't understand that either. He didn't like that. So I had my pastor hat on. And I was like, oh, what I meant to say was God's plan will win out in the end. <laughs> like, ugh. See, this, this is just the reality of my humanness standing before yours. There are areas in my life that I'm disappointed in God. There are areas in my life that without this passage, if I wouldn't have had text to back up how to get out of it, I would probably have not shared with you, but there are areas in my life that I bring before you right now that I'm disappointed with God in and that I'm even resentful. There are things that, that I did that, that the Bible says I should do, and they didn't turn out like the Bible said they would. And I, I don't understand. I don't understand why you would want us to be oppressed by these Roman people. I don't understand. You raised Lazarus from the dead, and now you're sleeping. I don't understand. All we want to do is worship you and serve you. Didn't you see my palm branch offering? I cut that down myself. Like, I gave you 10% of my income for a year. I don't understand. And you sit in this place long enough that that poison I have begins to move into other areas of your life until finally you're just as jaded as everybody else in the world. You just have more memory verses. <laughs> See, these people, they were disappointed because he never defeated anybody. He never dissolved the unfair tax system. He never put common people in charge or even holy people in charge. He never did anything other than love unlovable people and forgive unforgivable people. He wasn't the king I wanted him to be. And so in some areas of my life, like these people, in many areas of my life, like these people, by the end of the week, I, like them, was chanting, crucify him, kill him, get rid of him. I mean, I'll give him the easy stuff. I don't want to not be Jewish. I don't want to not be Christian. I just, I just don't want all this. Because he disappoints every time anyways. See, I sat in this. I sat in this so long that I basically had an early Good Friday. I was like, there are areas in my life that I've crucified Christ. There are areas in my life that I've denied Christ. There are areas in my life that I'm so disappointed with God that, that, that I've never even tried to, to, to bring forth 
to him. And I got so, uh, so deep into this that within my own person, I begin to do nothing but yearn for Easter. <laughs> I begin to realize that like these people, I begin to realize that, that my whole life has been permeated by these little pockets of disappointment with God that I have somehow validated because I, when I first followed Jesus, thought that he owed me this. And so this weekend, right here, in the two previous services, because none of this, by the way, this last 20%, none of it's on the notes, okay? That's why people who saw my notes earlier were like, what? where does this go? And I'm like, I don't know, but it's real. And that's what we do here. And sure enough, every time in every service, I got to the point I am right now, where here's what I can tell you. Because I can confess these areas in my life that I'm disappointed with God in, because I can admit I'm no different than these people in areas of my life that have chanted crucify the one and true Messiah because I have a Rome that oppresses me that I want him to overcome, that he doesn't, is not his highest priority. See, Jesus' highest priority as the Spirit of God ministered to me is my heart, is my, is my salvation, is my love for other people. Jesus' highest priority in my life, as I begin to realize, is my joy that, that is never ceasing, is all of those things in Psalms that, that Jesus is proclaimed to be the bread of life and the ever-quenching water for my thirst and all these things that brings wholeness and healing to my life. And suddenly it didn't matter about Rome or, or taxes or, or even how well my marriage was doing because I could find the peace in who I'm supposed to be, not in the promises of Jesus, but in Jesus. Just in Jesus. See, Jesus came in on a donkey because all he wanted you to see was him. He was literally leading you against what you and I were already thinking about. He said, listen, this donkey represents peace. Stop thinking about war. And we're like, there's Jesus. Remember the verse before and after? Yeah, he's going to do some stuff. Jesus is like, but I'm on a donkey. Donkeys mean peace. Pilate just came in with horses and spears, and you saw what that felt like. I'm full contrast to everything you thought this world said I was going to be. See me for me. Jesus Christ is working. Ugh. Jesus Christ is working right now to be seen for him. For he is, and he proclaims this. This is so important. Listen to me, okay? Listen. This is super important. He is proclaiming for him that he is the truth and the life. It's the most, it's the most insane, ridiculous thing that, that you can even possibly imagine right now for someone, for God himself to say, hey, guess what? I am the truth and the life. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. If you and I were building a house and you were in charge and you said, Danny, I want you to cut me a, a two by four by 10 feet, and you handed me a tape measure. The agreement between us is that the truth of the 10 feet lies within the agreed upon measuring stick, the tape measure. In today's world, when you and I are building a house, first off, nobody's in charge. We're both equal. Doesn't matter that you own the company, doesn't matter anything else, because I'm just as valid of a worker as you, so my opinion matters in everything. Okay, once you got past that, you got a person to go, no, okay, I get it, you're in charge, kinda. You say, cut it 10 feet. You hand me a tape measure and I go, but my version of 10 feet is this long. And you bring it back. And you say to this worker, what is this? And you go, this is the board you asked for. I asked for 10 feet. This is 10 feet to me because there's a truth inside me. And this is what is truth. And you go, no, 
No, no, 10 feet is the agreed upon measuring. It's the tool. The tool is the tape measure. The tool determines which measurement we do. And then the plans, okay, I want to run this illustration all the way till it's just drilled into your head. The plans, okay, say that the truth of Jesus Christ is the way by which you build your home, by the, the way by which you build your house. And when you say there are no plans, that's one thing. Then you go, and there is no Jesus. Then guess what? My version of 10 feet is just as valid as your version of 10 feet. It is only when you look at the plans and you look at the truth that we agree upon, then we can build houses on firm foundations with straight walls that don't leak and hurt everybody inside. Yeah, clap it up. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Now stop. Okay. I don't, this is what's important. This is what's important because clapping with your hands and not your heart means nothing. Okay. So you just clapping because other people clapping means nothing. They hate when I do this because it says we kills the applause in our church. I don't care. Unless you are breaking inside, which usually results in tears, then you probably aren't letting this soak in yet. There are things in your life that you've measured based on something other than truth, and that's why you think it's failure. Jesus enters, and he says, I fulfilled the prophecy. I came in humble. I accomplished my goals. And the people said, I gave you a palm branch, and I demand salvation. You owe me salvation. What did they do to deserve salvation? I cut down a palm branch. I gave some of my income. I served at the local church. I prayed. I attend Sunday mornings. I demand you overthrow the things in my life that I can't overthrow. And Jesus is like, but there's just more roams. There's just more things. How about this? I give you a new way to measure yourself. Me. Jesus says, I give you me. I give you that I am truth. I am the way. I am the life. I am the bread that will sustain you. I am the water that will quench you. You no longer have to desire for the way this world works. And therefore, you don't even work in the way this world works. Therefore, you think of a different kingdom. You see with different eyes. And because you see and think different, you're not even of this world, which is what everybody in this world is looking for right now. You want to know the one question this world wants to know right now? Everybody, especially the young people in the room, what is my meaning? What is my meaning? And Jesus says, it's me. He says, I am your meaning. Not what I'm going to do for you, not what I'm going to do with you, not how high or how low. Nope, just me. I am what completes you. You are separate from me, but through the cross of Christ, we are together. And in this place, if you'll choose me as your king instead of this world as your king, then you will find wholeness, completeness, and guess what? The rest of this system won't even matter. None of it will matter. And suddenly you will become dangerous like Jesus because you will love unlike other people. You will measure differently other people. You will see things differently. Suddenly things in your life will have rhythm and harmony. Didn't say they'd be easy. Okay? Rhythm and harmony doesn't mean easy. It just means when I say 10 feet in the name of Jesus and you say 10 feet in the name of Jesus, we both show up with something called community because we both know what love's supposed to look like. Then when the brother or a sister fails, they get a little bit of that worldly stuff in them. They start cutting stuff at nine feet, saving some wood, saving some time, whatever it is. We can go to them and go, hey, hold on, let's go back to the plans. Based on Jesus, who is the truth, this way you're treating your wife, this way you're treating your husband, this way you're living, this addiction that you have, it's keeping you from building this house, this home that you're supposed to live in, that you can find satisfaction and peace. And the brother goes, you're right. 
thank you. There's no credit to me. I didn't write the plans. I didn't determine 10 feet. We just have an agreed upon way of thinking. This is the power of the gospel. This is why some of you have been slipping and sliding through life, but today you got traction for the very first time ever because you, like me, are messed up inside. And the only thing that I can do is give my life over to God who is my meaning. This is nothing but a picture of the choices this world has to make every single time Jesus enters into the heart of a community. Every time there will be some sort of other oppression that looks easier, that looks more simple, that looks more ready to take control. And people every time will start off with Jesus because it's fun and it's hip and it's relevant. But then when he doesn't show up to overthrow and destroy and bring you power and glory, then most of the time, most of us will turn and run back to the system we know. And that's why this place is so very important. Because I'm here to tell you, this Lord's Prayer series we're going to do for three weeks, we're going to create some room here. Because some of you ain't going to like it. And I'm just fine with that. I'm fine with it. My person isn't fine with it because I'm a people pleaser and I want you to be okay and I want you to know how much I love you and think you're special. But the plans say that the house has to be built based on his measurements, not yours. And that's going to make you feel out of control. And you're not going to be able to handle that. And I'm going to struggle. <laughs> and that's just fine too. We serve a God whose greatest purpose is to bring glory to himself. Because he is the greatest thing there ever was. And the greatest glory that he brings to himself is when he loves an unlovable person into relationship with him. I'm that person. You're that person. We serve him. We praise him, not for the choices he makes for us, but just because he is who he is. And if we can do that based on his plans and his spirit, then I'm telling you, you will never thirst again. You will never be spiritually hungry again. And not only that, you will feed people. You will heal people. You will pray with people. You will see things. God will open up your eyes because you will be so full of his presence that it's got to get out onto somebody. This is the church that we're going to build. This is the community that we're going to build. And it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost us everything. And that's just fine. You have a choice to make. I've made mine. Soon it's going to be your turn. Heavenly Father, Lord, in this room, there's a lot of people sitting at a crossroads right now. A lot of people contemplating just what this all means for them. And God, I ask that you would continue to stir that up. I ask, Lord, that you would continue to hold on to them. Don't let them slip away. Don't let them become fixed upon other things in this kingdom. Let the spiritual power of your presence just overwhelm them, Lord, as they are forced, like those people that day, to make a choice, to really ask the question, is their palm branch of faith enough to demand that you bless, enough to demand that we're successful, enough to demand that, that everything is rosy and good? Or God, is it enough that you just came and fulfilled the prophecy, that you showed up, 
I ask God that this Good Friday would be a time of choice. I ask that this coming Easter would be a time of choice. I ask the following three weeks, Lord, with the Lord's Prayer series would be a time of reflection and choice, God, that people would wrestle and roll and have hips come out of socket because of how much pressure and, and, and tangible, touchable uh, uh, difficulty it is to grapple with our own humanness. And to lay it down at the feet of the cross, at the feet of you, Lord, who I crucified, who I spit upon, who I became disappointed in. I pray, Lord, that in this place there would be an embracing of our own depravity. That we would stop pretending we are something we're not. That we would be people who can rise up from this place proclaiming the new nature of Jesus Christ. Living glorified lives, glorious lives, uh, undaunted by what the world says, undaunted by the way the world uh, responds. Lord, I ask that in this place we would make a choice to choose you as our king. In spite of the one who intimidates, in spite of the one who demands conformity. Lord, we choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. Lord, you can have it all. You can take it all. What profit is it to a man to gain the world and lose his soul? So, Lord, I choose you for you are a good God. You are a forgiving God. And you can love someone like me. That's the only reason I need. And so forgive me, Lord. Renew my spirit. Restore your glory to your church as we repent as we praise as we lift high your name we thank you Father it all starts here with you and our decision to be your children and nothing more thank you for this week and what your spirit's doing we praise you now we praise you now